Welcome to Parallel Quest, a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and share our personal stories of the impact they've had on our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe more accurately said, across the internet from me, my great friend, co-host, author, and people watcher of those who chew on toothpicks, Zach Butler. Zach, how you doing today, man? I'm doing really well, and I gotta tell you, man. People who chew toothpicks, for the most part, I think look like total jerks. And I'm sorry for those out there. I'm glad you went that direction. I thought big, big toothpick chewers. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I listen. I get it. There's food in your teeth. You want to look great. Leaving the restaurant, you take a toothpick. But I gotta say, man, 99.9% of the time when I see someone with a toothpick and I know they have not eaten any <laughs> food. I they just look like jerks, man. They just look <laughs> like punks. They 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 send off this like yeah, this aura of just jerkiness and I got to say my mind was changed oh, recently. Oh, okay. I there's there's a reason why it's 99.9% cuz I saw the 0.1% in my drive-through okay. the other day, man. And so I'm out there taking orders. I'm on the iPad. It's in the middle of lunch. We're just grinding through a really tough lunch hour. It's it's December at Chick-fil-A. People are out shopping. They're stopping at Chick-fil-A <laughs> to eat. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And I'm starting to, starting to get a little tired. And I'm like, man, yeah, yeah. I, did, I don't know how much, much longer I can keep going. And I look at the line of cars wrapped around my store. I'm like, this line is never going to end. And as I'm looking at this line, I see a Corvette. I see a Corvette okay, with a top Corvette, down okay. in December. Okay. Okay. Which immediately I was like, all right, this is going to be a character. Like this per, this is December in Pittsburgh. Okay. This is like hardly a sunny day in Pittsburgh. I guess it would be considered a sunny day because it's Pittsburgh. But the guy's got the top down. He's got his aviator sunglasses on and he's lounging back toothpick just jutting out the side of his mouth, man. And I was like, this is the coolest guy I have ever seen. He was an older guy. (laughs) Okay. Okay. He was wearing like a leather brown leather jacket. I mean, he looked like an old if james dean would have lived to his 70s (laughs) this i'm sure james dean would have been riding in a corvette chewing a toothpick with a leather jacket and aviators on man (laughs) and this guy gets up to me and i didn't say anything about the toothpick i wanted to so bad i want to be like dude you look so cool like i gotta tell you like i have this you know, philosophy on people who chew toothpicks and I, you are breaking all of it down right now. Like you are <laughs> the outlier. I didn't say any of that to him. I just took his Good, order. That's probably for I, the best. <laughs> I, but like this guy, I got to tell you, I couldn't see his eyes because he was wearing the aviators, but this guy knew he looked cool. He knew like, it. You know, you know, guys who just kind of have that relaxed look about oh, yeah. them. Like they, they, like this guy, I'm telling you, man, knew he looked cool wearing the jacket, chewing a toothpick. And mm-hmm. so 
I don't know if you've seen anybody chewing a toothpick in your life, man. Do you think they look cool? Or do you think they kind of look like a little bit of a jerk? You know, for the most part, I'm going to say I don't think too much of it. But what I immediately think of when I think of somebody chewing on a toothpick is the scene from the movie Uncle Buck. You ever seen Uncle Buck? Yes. Remember when they're in the bowling alley and there's the guy who's trying to impress the young girl and he's taking the toothpick and he's twirling in his mouth, being able yeah. to like flip it all the way around and then he gets it stuck in yeah. his mouth. That is what I think of when I see people chewing on toothpicks. I just think of that guy at the bowling alley in Uncle Buck, so that's not necessarily a great endorsement of toothpick yeah. chewing, but that is what I think of, and that's where my mind goes. And that guy was not necessarily coming across as a super cool guy himself. He kind of yeah. came across as more of a jerk, so... I probably am in the camp of your original assessment of toothpick chewers. And I'll say this. Mm -hmm. If you are a toothpick chewer, if you're sitting in your car right now listening to this podcast or you're walking down the street and you got a toothpick in your mouth, we're not judging you. We are just telling you how you look. You know, this doesn't mean <laughs> that you are a jerk, right? It just means like that you might look like one. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. if you have a Corvette and aviators and an older gentleman, you might be able to pull it off. But you could pull it off, man. In yeah. a Chick-fil-A drive-thru, you might look like the coolest. Dude, I got to tell you, that kept me going through lunch because I just <laughs> I had to tell somebody about that. I had to I was like, this is definitely going on the podcast because <laughs> I was like, this guy, this is one of the coolest guys I have ever seen chewing a toothpick. It is just completely changed my philosophy on toothpick chewers. So nice. that was my week, man. I was go. I was pretty fired up after that. That kept me going through lunch. But it looks like you've been doing some Christmas shopping, yes. my friend. Yes, that I have. Is the season. So it tell me about tis that. It is the season. So so here's the deal. Like this year we got a big Christmas gift for our kids early. Right, we 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 got it. It was on sale. Big deal. I'm not gonna say it on the podcast because sometimes they're you know wandering about, you know, listening in. So I can't say it out loud. I'll say it after Christmas happens. But we got a decent gift, and so my wife and I decided it's like, hey, you know what? Let's just get all the shopping done early. So on Black Friday, like there were sales pretty much all week. I we were just like, you know what? Let's just get it all done. We got a couple toys, clothes, books, boom, done. Like, simple. Everyone got the same amount of gifts, same types of gifts, and we were really organized. I feel like this is the best job I've ever done with Christmas shopping. Now, of course, it's all in theory. Come Christmas Day, here's what always happens. You're like, oh, we didn't buy enough gifts, or like, we don't have enough wrapping paper. Like, I feel like this year, though, we are prepared. We got everything planned out. We got it all. We're good to go. Christmas is just in 21 days here. But there are those moments where you're shopping and it's just like, hey, you know what? I kind of feel like buying something for myself. And we had gotten some Kohl's cash for the big gift that we bought for the kids. And I talked to my wife about it. I was like, hey, you know, I could really use some new sweatshirts and sweatpants. 
how much Kohl's cash we got. So she tells me how much Kohl's cash we got. And I'm like, oh, sweet, I get a couple outfits. So so here's me, you get the kids, but then there's me, and now I'm excited. I'm excited to shop for myself, and I'm at that point in life where I'm just excited to buy myself some brand-new sweatshirts and sweatpants. And I'm, like, really pumped. I got one on right now, a nice blue Under Armour <laughs> sweatshirt. And I am I am just so comfortable. They fit nice. They're, like, new and fresh, and I'm super excited about it. But I was like, you know what? I just... It didn't really cost me any money because I was just using Kohl's cash. I want to actually see if see if I could buy myself something. Because my wife and I, we've kind of just adopted this model of where we just kind of shop together for what we're going to buy each other. And uh, it's just mm. like, hey, this is this is what you're getting, and we're kind of cool with that. That's how we do it. Um, it's just a lot easier that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I do kind of feel like getting something fun. And I was lucky enough to be able to snag, buy three for the price of two on Amazon and was able to round out my series and finish. I now fully own all of the published Stormlight Archive books in hardcover. So No way. So, yeah, I got Wade Kings back for Father's Day. Uh, and, and guess how much it cost me to get three hardcover books for a Stormlight Archive from Amazon? Uh, I'm going to say 50 bucks. Buy three for the price of two. You are right. It was forty eight ninety nine or something like that. Yeah. And dude, like what those are at sticker price? It's like holy cow! I got basically mm-hmm. all three of these for the price of one brand new. Um, oh, so man. dude, that's awesome. I'm a little little envious over here. I only own one of the hardbacks of the that series, and it's the most recent one. Well, it's here's the deal. Like, I typically I'm not a huge hardcover fan personally. Um, because they're harder to read. But for me, I just feel like there's a feeling in my heart and soul that feels like the Stormlight Archive is going to be, when it's all said and done, it will probably be renowned as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, fantasy series ever written. And how cool would it be to have all of these with their original covers in hardback, be able to pass down to my kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. So so there's like that whole side of it. And I I don't have that with any other books you know my harry potter collection is a big like mismatch of some soft covers some hard covers and i'm I'm also huge i'm like i like the first run cover art like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's worse than updated covers i'm just like to me i'd rather get a used beat up book from a bookstore but if it's the original run on the original cover art like that's just one thing that i like with books um i uh I have, oh, and this is why I say that, because I've been reading Wheel of Time, and I decided that I I have the soft cover, original cover art, but I couldn't get, I couldn't find a soft cover, used copy, or anything that was a decent price for the Great Hunt original art. I'm like, I'm not spending 12 bucks on a, you know, a used soft cover, and right. I'm not going to lie. The new updated covers for the Wheel of Time books are legitimately the laziest covers I've ever seen in my life. They're all the same color. I mean, they're all the same cover with a different color. And it's like, uh, that is lame. That, like, is I, it like that minimalist style yeah, that's like it's really in right now? I it's, don't like It's basically that style of like, hey, you can read this on an airplane and no one's going to know you're, you're reading high fantasy. That's why they do it. And I understand it. I get it. Um, 
But you know what? If you're going to read a book about the Dragon Reborn, just embrace it, you know? Just mm-hmm. embrace what you're reading. Just go so, for it. Send it. Uh, so, anyway. Yeah. Dude, that's great, though. Uh, I've, I've thought similar things to you with the Stormlight Archive. That's just why I bought Words of Radiance. Uh, or Rhythm of War, sorry, mm-hmm. um, as a, a hardback. So I want, I, I got to go back and buy the first three, but I want to get them all in, you know, that hardcover yeah. format. Because I, I also, I love, as cheesy as they kind of look, like I love the original run of of covers, especially for fantasy, because it's always so like really ridiculous. Yeah. And you're like, what the heck is going yeah. on? And so... Um, that's, that's awesome. I, I missed that sale. I wish I would have seen that, but, um, you know, I was going to text you and I'm not going to lie. I totally forgot about it. Like I was shopping (laughs) and I was, I, I, I I did think about you, but then like a bunch of stuff was going on. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm a a bad friend. I should. It'll be around, man. It'll listen. It's going to take five years for him to write the next one. I'm sure there'll be another black Friday sale. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And I think they'll have that cover run for a while. Like, oh, as, yeah. as long as he's on, like, the main installments, I think they're going to run with that original cover run for a long time. He's got some cool ones. There's some mm-hmm. really cool Stormlight Archives covers, like, alternative color covers that I want. But you're right. Like, I don't like reading hardcovers because they're too hard to read. Like, they're just, are, you got to take man. the just jacket off because it gets in the way, and then the book's so clunky, and then your fingers get all over, like the grease of your fingers get all over the hardback and so it's literally for aesthetics like i would they rather are, buy they, a they are beautiful they are beautiful yeah. books especially um the dust jacket on the two newest ones has the uh the map on the interior oh, of the dust beautiful. jacket and i'm like beautiful that is a great thing like how yeah. how is that not on every lord of the rings hardcover you know middle mm-hmm. earth on the inside of the dust jacket but yeah in color oh yeah. it's beautiful it's yeah that's that's a wonderful addition but anyway we're nerding out about uh about things that that you know people who listen to this podcast actually probably like so it's it's okay but Talking about Brandon Sanderson, we're going to talk a little bit more about him because we're talking about his um, his book, The Final Empire and the Mistborn series. But before we do that, let's go over what we're reading or watching right now in our free time. So, Zach, I've been talking for a while. Why don't you get us started here? Yeah, I have finished up one book, and I'm almost done with two, so I'm going to hit these real quick. The one I finished recently... Um, I've gotten into this habit, man, of listening. So Libby, we both love Libby. We both love Overdrive. Um, so I've gotten into this habit of downloading <clears throat> like nonfiction, social science, or history books on Libby. Yeah, because I just find that I kind of get bored reading them. But when I listen to them, especially on car rides or when I'm at the gym, I find it more interesting. I don't know yeah. why, but just the audio. I just feel like I'm listening more to a podcast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I just listened to Hate Inc. And it's a recent book by Matt Taibbi. Okay. And it essentially just <clears throat> breaks down the dichotomy of our news media. So for anyone who wants to, you know, kind of slightly peel back the curtain of our news media, Matt Taibbi used to write for all of these like news media channels or newspapers. And and he basically makes the argument that 
our news media is the equivalent of ESPN, like sports yeah. entertainment. Like yeah. there's, you can go on ESPN and watch, you know, Skip Bayless or when he used to debate, you know, Stephen A. Smith. You, you knew as a fan watching it that it was all fake. Yeah, you knew that fake. Yeah. Skip probably didn't really believe what he was arguing. And, yeah. you know, Stephen A. was just playing up a character and he didn't really believe what he was arguing, but it was entertainment and it was fun and you tuned in anyways. And so... That essentially is what Hate Inc. was about is this, this it's all entertainment. It's a product they're selling to you. Like, yes, the news is relevant, but the way they portray that to you is is how any business would portray their product to a consumer. It's like, mm-hmm. we want to give you what you like. So we're not going to tell you the whole truth. We're going to tell you what, the truth that you like. And so it was a fascinating book. Um, it's not anything groundbreaking, I'll say. Like, we've mm-hmm. all heard the news is fake news so this is just kind of a reinforcement that all of it is fake news not just you know what our former president said was fake news so really good book fascinating um i i actually highly recommend it um just you know it's a a nice talking point in a in conversation so finish that one i'm currently i'm almost done i'm like 90 percent of the way through rhythm of war which is the most recent stormlight archive book i've been reading that one for a while and i'll be honest man this one is not as good as oathbringer oathbringer was so good i tore through that book rhythm of war has built the science and the magic system out to a point that is beyond anything i've ever read like it is it is very detailed okay also boring to me um <laughs> there's points where i'm like i don't care anymore i want to know what's going on with the plot yeah i want to know what the characters are doing brandon sanderson spends a lot of time developing the magic system in rhythm of war um but the flip side he really dives into kind of current cultural um trends in a way um he dives into a lot of like current mental um problems that like americans and you know first world problems people are having mm-hmm. um and so that's actually really interesting because he dives into depression he dives into um kind of post-traumatic stress like it, it's interesting in a fantasy mm. book that he's kind of dealing with these real current emotions so i i appreciate that part of the book yeah the magic system, like, it gets to a point where I'm like, I don't like this is too much. Like, I it just like I like science behind it, but I don't need that much science. Okay. Um, but I really, I really like the themes that are in Rhythm of War. And then, um, this one's real quick. This is the second book in Robin Hobbs, um, the Elderlings, uh, series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Royal Assassin. Um, I just love how Robin Hobb writes. If you've never read, um, assassin's apprentice i highly recommend it it's the first book in the elderlings uh trilogy um i think it's been on my goodreads like want to read list for like a couple years read (laughs) especially because you like um J.R. tolkien Mm -hmm. like it's not to that level but it's it's beautiful just Mm -hmm. the way she writes is beautiful and it's it's kind of like a palate cleanser after reading sanderson where it's it's so Mm -hmm. just tactful and just like yeah. this happened then this happened then this happened like it's it's kind of nice to have some you know flower in the yeah. language um and so royal assassin 
is really good. I really enjoy this book. Um, I love the characters, just the, the, the plot, the, the magic is there, but the, but it's kind of like, uh, a, a, um, a Lord of the Rings type magic where it, mm-hmm. it exists, it's there, but it's kind of at the, in the back ground of of just the characters and what's going on yeah and so royal assassin is is the second book in the series like i said and i'm really really enjoying that and i'm almost done with that i'm 82 percent of the way through according to my okay. kindle so okay i'm almost done with these two fantasy books and then i have a bunch of ray bradbury books i just bought so oh, i'll nice. be talking about that for a while but nice. what are you watching what are you reading man so, watching Wheel of Time, obviously, we both are. If you guys haven't got a chance to check out our reviews, they do appear on the podcast feed. But uh, if you're into the Wheel of Time, we've been reviewing each episode as they come. But I've also been reading the books, Red Eye of the World, in preparation for the show. And now I'm probably about two-thirds of the way through The Great Hunt and can honestly say that The, the Great Hunt has moments in it that are much better than stuff that happened in Eye of the World, but overall feels like a like kind of a step back in the pacing. Uh, Great Hunt, to me, I feel like takes a lot of time to get through scenes, and it goes into a lot more detail, whereas Eye of the World, just like even though it's an 800-page book, it does feel pretty fast-paced. At least that's how I thought of it. And, and that could just be because... The last fantasy book I read was Name of the Wind, which is not fast-paced. Like, it is intentionally, deliberately paced. Uh, You know, like, I don't want to say slow-paced, because I think it's deliberately paced. Um... So anyway, that has uh, that's been an interesting thing to to see. I'm enjoying it a lot. Builds out the world a lot more, uh, and I'm understanding uh, a lot more of how this world works and why people love it. And then I'm also listening while I'm at work, listening to Wise Man's Fear, and I think it starts off really good. Uh, I think that the the beginning of the book's been really good so far. I'm I'm enjoying it. I am mm-hmm. probably about four or five hours in which is only like 10%. So I've got a long way to go. But there was a scene that I got to, and this isn't really a huge spoiler, where um, Kavoth takes a substance where his inhibitions are completely thrown to the side. And that was, like, really fun. I enjoyed (laughs) that. I thought it was written well. The guy who does the audio book just nailed it because like he really does he sounds like how you would imagine Kavoth to be as a storyteller so I really enjoyed that uh that was that was probably some of the most fun I've had reading or listening to an audiobook in fiction in a while like that was just just pure fun uh so I enjoyed that quite a bit that was fun and so yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm reading these days. There's not too much else because those are those are doorstoppers, man. That's what <laughs> so those are. You, you so two you doorstoppers. You don't really expand too far out when you're when you're going no. through two doorstoppers, <laughs> yeah, man. You, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Especially, I mean, like you, we were talking off air about uh, Wise Man's Fear, and it's like <laughs> Rothfuss doubles, doubles length, dude. Yeah, doubles the length, and I mean. If anyone's read Name of the Wind, it's it. I mean, that's a doorstopper. Like that's not a it small is, book, and not. so to go from that to I, I think I have, 
I think I have the uh, Wise Man's Fear on my bookshelf behind me. If you guys are watching the YouTube, yeah. and it's next to Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings, and it is thicker than The Way of Kings, which ah. The Way of Kings is a big book. And so, it, I mean, Rothfuss did some damage, man, in that second book. So I can only imagine what the third one eventually I, when it comes I, out. I think they're very like. similar lengths. Like, mm-hmm. I think that they both come in at like over 40 hour audiobooks. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Wise Wise Man's Fear, I think, is like forty three hours. I'm not I'm not I, I think that is. I think it's like three hours longer than Wave Kings. So And it's it's slightly Ooh. bigger on my shelf. So Ooh. I mean Yeah. It's a, it's a big one. But hey, let's transition. Let's start talking about our main topic and as we like to do before we get into the meat of the topic, we like to at least set the stage of what the world was like when Mistborn came out. Mistborn came out in 2006 and we've talked about 2006 in some of our other episodes so in order to not rehash or reiterate things that we've said before I actually just came up with a small list of things that I don't think we talked about in the past the first thing being that we have talked about on this podcast one of my favorite films ever made 007 Casino Royale and it came out in 2006. And the reason why I mention that is because Casino Royale is one of my favorite Bond movies. And Mistborn, The Final Empire, well, Mistborn's one of my favorite fantasy series. And I think, like, when I think of Mistborn, I kind of think of all three books of the first saga in as, like, one book, right? Mistborn, to me, I think of, like, Final Empire, Well of Ascension, and Hero of Ages, because um, it is, like, one major narrative. But... The Final Empire came out the same year. One of my favorite books and one of my favorite movies came out in the same year. Also, mm-hmm. what happened, and I remember watching this every morning mm-hmm. on Sports Center. I tuned in to see if it was going to happen. In 2006, Barry Bonds broke Babe Ruth's home run record. He hit 715 or 716. I can't remember which one took him over the record, but he hit mm-hmm. it. He did it in 2006. He had the assistance of some friends named Steroids, <laughs> but. <laughs> He did it nonetheless. He still had to hit all the balls. Yeah. And and he is the current record holder for home runs and probably will be forever. Yeah. And and That's also, a lot of home runs. Also, in that same year, while Barry Bonds was smashing home runs, Jack Dorsey and the boys were smashing the tweet button. Twitter went out to the world, to the public, on July 15th of 2006, which I think is kind of good to mention because now Twitter is under uh, new leadership with a new CEO. Jack Dorsey stepped down. He is no longer the man behind the bird at Twitter. It is somebody else whose name I forgot. But that doesn't matter. It just matters that it started on 2006, July 15th. Also, November 19th, the world experienced madness, insanity. A video game console came out that took the world by storm. I would, in fact, say that it pulled the wool over a lot of video gamers' eyes because it wasn't a very good console, in my opinion. However, the Nintendo Wii released and sold millions upon millions upon millions of units. And with its release, everyone's grandparents decided that they were going to become gamers so that they could play a video game, which is technically a glorified tech demo called Wii Sports. And within that tech demo, most people would just play the bowling game, which, hilariously to me, 
is one of the least fun things you could actually do in your life. Just swing your arm back and forth and, <laughs> and hope that the digital ball knocks over the digital pins. But people loved it. And we all got sucked into the Wii. And mm. then you owned a Wii, and after a while, you're like, I really don't like playing with sticks as controllers. And then it mm -hmm. collected lots and lots of dust until Nintendo came out with the Switch. They had a fail Wii U console that came out in between that, but... <laughs> anyway, oh, I forgot about the Wii U. 2006, oh, man. we got the Nintendo when, Wii. When the Wii came out... <clears throat> I, I mean, I was hooked, but the moment I backed out of the whole craze was when the Zelda game came out and you had to wag the stick around to swing your sword. And I was like, oh, no. Skyward sword, man. Yeah. I was like, that's what this whole game is going to be, isn't it? Is me just kind of flicking my wrist around <laughs> to swing my... I was like, this is awful <laughs> i have to play a whole game i actually did not finish skyward sword for that very reason and did not i don't think i played the wii really much after that my brother had it and we would play the bowling game every now and then mm -hmm. but after that i was i was done so yeah, yeah that was mm -hmm. not nintendo's best showing man the switch is much better it the switch is much better it is it truly is but that is 2006. That is when Mistborn came out. Mistborn. It was originally released with the title of Mistborn, but now it has the subtitle of The Final Empire. Actually, I think it was always called The Final Empire, um, but most people just knew it as Mistborn. This series came out. It is written by a very well-known fantasy author, but this was only his second book ever written, and it was liked by many, many people, and I would say really put Sanderson on the map, this book. Mm -hmm. uh, it is sitting at a 4.44 out of 5 on Goodreads. It is currently number 3 on Reddit's top fantasy novels list, the same lists that we referenced in our Name of the Wind episode. Mistborn as a series is number 3, but I also wanted to make a note that Sanderson's other series, The Stormlight Archives, is currently sitting at number 1 above my beloved Tolkien's Middle-Earth Saga and I it's just because Rhythm of War came out, don't worry. And here's the thing here's what I have to say about it I think that there is a part of us where, where we're divided into two things, right? There are those who never want something to surpass Lord of the Rings. We want it to be the greatest of all time, and we want it to always be that way because it is kind of a measuring rod. However, there is, I will say this, there is better quality writing on the market now in fantasy than what we got with Tolkien. I think a lot of the rules that were in place with publishing with Tolkien don't exist today. And uh, I think that Tolkien's perfectionist and overly critical nature of his own work prevented him from publishing a lot more stuff. So we really only got uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. But uh, anyway... I will say this. Mm -hmm. I will say that if I read it, I will be willing to admit if Stormlight Archives is, in fact, better than Lord of the Rings. I'll admit it if I think it's better. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll be my favorite, but I can objectively mm -hmm. say if it's better. Uh, also, mm -hmm. Mistborn is sitting at a 4.7 out of 5 on Amazon. So if you have never read Mistborn the Final Empire, we're going to give a little bit of a plot summary here, and then we'll talk spoilers and all those things. But in the plot summary, 
uh, I will, uh, I'll, I'll do spoilers at the end of it, but you'll get a little bit of an introduction at the beginning, and then you can bow out, read the book, and come back. Or if you don't care about spoilers, listen to this episode, and then go read the book or listen to the audiobook. I still think you'll enjoy it nonetheless. But hey, let's get into this. Let's talk about the story of the final empire. We are introduced to a mysterious man at the beginning of the tale of the final empire, a man who later we will find out is named Kelsier. He is a survivor, a survivor of the pits of Hathsin, a place where the Misraiths go, and nobody, no living person, has ever come out of the pits of Hathsin before. And not only did Kelsier I can't speak. Not only did he survive, I don't know what word I was trying to say, not only did he survive, but when he came out of the pits of Hath-Sin, he had incredible abilities that were limited to only a few people in all of history. He was a Mistborn. See, we live in a time in the final empire that is ruled by a dictatorial ruler who has separated society into a very, very divided class system. There is the ruling class, the nobles, and there is the servant class, the ska. And the Lord Ruler oversees all of this, and he makes sure that everybody stays in their lane. And ska are people who are slaves, servants, and they have to work manual labor day and night, digging and digging and digging for a rare metal called Atium, which they then have to hand over to the noble houses and the Lord Ruler. And what we find out at the beginning of this book is there is a young woman by the name of Vin who feels like she has a special ability. She feels... Like she has the special ability of luck. Huh, that kind of doesn't make any sense. Luck, who has the special ability of luck? But what we come to find out about this young woman, Vin, is she actually is an allomancer. Somebody who is able to tap into the metals in their body and burn them in order to exhort some type of extra supernatural type of force, a force that defies the laws of physics, that can interact with the metals around them and have some type of effect on the metals or people around them. And so she finds out that she's able to burn metals. And I believe she was burning tin to influence people's emotions, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And... Then she runs into Kelsier. Kelsier saves her from a, a bad crew that she runs in with her brother. She is in a criminal type of crew. They steal things, and her brother is abusive, and Kelsier saves her from the gang and the leader of that gang who was going to abuse her. And so now she is with Kelsier and his gang, and he kind of asks her some questions and finds out, hey, you're able to burn metals. You're an alamancer, and starts to check some boxes and finds out, hey, you can burn all the metals. Do you know what that means? That means you are a mistborn, and that is a significant title because that means not only are you the greatest of greats when it comes to people in society, you are able to burn all of the metals, meaning you have all the powers. Like some people, they're born with the ability to have one power, and it's typically relegated to the noble classes. There aren't any ska who have the abilities of alamancy, or at least not those that are widely known because alamancy is within the noble classes. So then we find out 
Vin has some abilities, and she's a Mistborn. She begins to be trained by Kelsier, and they decide to bring her into the crew. And what we find out is that Mistborn is not just a story about people who can do magical things with metals, but this is a heist story set in a fantasy world, which is one reason why I love this. This is like Ocean's Eleven in a fantasy world. And so what Kelsier and his crew decide they're going to do, and they bring Vin in on the operation, they are going to plan to sneak into the noble houses and kind of cause internal ruckus between the nobles. All the meanwhile, there's going to be a separate crew who are training and raising up an army of Ska, and what they're going to do is try and cause dysfunction in the noble houses through this investigation while raising up an army of Ska and secretly attack the capital city where they're going to try and overthrow the Lord Ruler. The Ska people will be free and try to just set up a better life for themselves. Through a series of investigations and going to balls, Vin meets a young man by the name of Ellen Ellen Venture, a young, unkempt man who is very into reading philosophy, history. He just doesn't think the world is functioning in a way that it should. He has a lot of questions of why does society work the way that it does. And he and Vin are set to meet each other at these balls, and she looks forward to meeting him. While she's investigating, she is undercover as a young woman whose name I can't remember at the time, but her name is Vin to me. Um (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember what she her alias is. Yeah, I can't remember her alias, but she takes on an alias, she investigates, and she starts to fall in love with the person who she's supposed to be investigating. And she has battles with assassins who try to kill her in the night, and and we see that there are other Alamancers who are, are putting up a fight, and Kelsier is leading the battle, and... There's a bunch of things that happen in this movie, but ultimately we find ourselves at the climax where the Ska, they storm the city and Kelsier goes and fights the Lord Ruler face to face and he ends up dying. He ends up dying and it rallies the Ska troops and they decide that they're going to storm the keep. They're going to take over the Lord Ruler and it goes miserably. Vin gets captured, she's tortured and... She is at a loss, thinking that she's going to end up dead. She ends up breaking out of her cell, and she goes to confront the Lord Ruler, and that is when she realizes, she makes a click in her head, that there's something strange about this guy. Not only is he the greatest Alamancer to ever live, and he can burn all of the metals, he himself is a Mistborn, but he also has another ability, another power called Ferrochemy, which means he absorbs metals from bands that he wears on his arms. And it's what gives him the long life and the young appearance and just the ongoing invincibility, which she finds out about from her servant, Sazen. And so, with the help of a friend who was turned into a terrifying creature called Inquisitor, Marsh helps fight off other Inquisitors. There's a big battle. The Lord Ruler dies because Vin's able to strip off all of his medals. He kind of whittles away, turns into an old man, and then she stabs him with a spear. And so, the Lord Ruler dies. And then, Kelsier returns from the dead. (laughs) But does he really? No, he doesn't. We find out that 
Kelsier was being mimicked by another character who was working alongside Vin. He was a, I can't remember what they're called. Oh, man, it just dropped me. But there's creatures who can change their figure. They can take on the forms of other people. Mm -hmm. But the really gross thing is, in order to become the people that they take on, they actually have to eat their dead bodies. So... So Orsir, the guy who she uh, she knows, had to eat Kelsier's body to kind of rally everybody, say he has returned and that the people should be free. And then what ends up happening is Ellen, the person she was close with, decides to rally the people. They kind of introduce a democratic government, and we think that the world is going to be a happier place. But that's only the beginning of the adventure. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, that's kind of the final empire in a nutshell. It wasn't the greatest of summaries, but that's the best that I can remember it. Um, it's, it's a funny, fantastic book. It's funny you say that because, I mean, at one point while you were describing it or telling the plot, you said, and that's, but that's how the movie goes. And I was like, it, it really is like a movie. It like, like a movie. it is a book, but it's it really is like, like you, even hearing you say it, it, it feels like a movie, and mm-hmm. that's that's how it's written, that's how it's paced, that's how it's set up. So, for everyone who's ever wanted to like write a book, that's like I want it to be similar to a movie, or I want to just how we go on to see a movie and how it translates to the written word is is usually lost in translation, but somehow Sanderson was able to write. That's a fairly lengthy book, mm-hmm. but pace it and make it feel like a film. Yeah. And so when you read it, you really can't put it down because it's just like it's paced in such a way that you're just, oh, okay, I'll do I'll do another chapter. I just want to see what happens. And oh, okay, I'll do just one more chapter. And I mean, paired with Sanderson's creativity and creating a magic system and his simplicity of language that just makes him very accessible i don't mean that as you know a slight like he's just he's an easy person to read it like makes mistborn even that much better yeah. so it was funny that you said that though because i was like, <laughs> it, is like it kind of is like a movie it's just, it it like i can really see the story in my mind and one thing i'll mention about mistborn and it's kind of like a sanderson trait at this point but it was this it was this book that made me really realize that when you split up your books into parts, if you go about it with the right strategy, it's really good at constantly sucking the reader in. So Brandon Sanderson, whenever he writes a book, he always has part one through whatever it is. A lot of his books have five parts. Um, I think some of his longer stuff has more. But uh, the Mistborn books, I think they all have like four to five parts. And the way that they read is it almost feels... Well, not almost. This is his goal, is he creates little tiny story arcs within a grander plot, and every single part, you know when you're getting close to the end of like part one, you know you only got a few more chapters left, you know you're going to be treated with some type of plot twist or climactic action scene, and, and it really does help with the pacing, especially of Mistborn. I think it's it's really well paced. I think all of them are, all three of them are, but Final Empire... It's probably the fastest pace out of all of them, mm-hmm. and uh, I really enjoy that, and I think it really works. And if if you're looking for 
I will say this at the end. But mm-hmm. uh, before we give our initial impact of uh, Final Empire here, I do want to talk a little bit about some some background and history of this book, a little bit about Brandon Sanderson to give anybody who doesn't know much about the background of the book or Sanderson himself just a couple of factoids out there that I, I researched here. Uh, the first thing that I came across is that Sanderson actually decided to work on Mistborn while trying to get his first book, Elantris, published. And he he actually did not start writing Mistborn until he had gotten like a huge chunk of the Stormlight Archive done. Like, like Way of Kings was like well underway. It was in a good spot. He was writing it. But he actually decided to delay publishing Way of Kings and the Stormlight Archive to do Mistborn because he thought it would be a more accessible read or kind of like a more logical next step for himself as a writer. And I have to be honest, I think with the foundation of Mistborn, I think that that does help people get into a heavier type of Mm -hmm. reading like the Stormlight Archive because... It is. It's a very different type of reading. And I can also say, I would say that, at least from where I've read through Way of Kings, I'm about a third of the way through, I do think it's better, like, writing. Like, it feels more, like, authorly, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Whereas Mistborn kind of reads like a fast-paced action film, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's great. I think that's a that's a good thing about it. Um, And then also... Mm-hmm. Mistborn, and the reason why I think this series is important, not only does it put Sanderson on the map in a huge way, but it's these books that I think really solidified him becoming the author of the final three Wheel of Time books uh, because it was these books and then a eulogy, which he talks about. He wrote in like a eulogy kind of commemorating Robert Jordan and how he appreciated him. He wrote it on online on his blog and somehow it got to Tor because I think he was already being published by Tor at the time and then it was shared with Harriet McDougal who then was like, hey, I like this Brandon Sanderson guy. I like how he thinks. And they connected, they talked, she read one of his books and then was like, yes, this is the guy I want to write the end of Wheel of Time if it makes sense. And obviously it did. He finished the Wheel of Time series. I think that's another thing that put his name way out there uh, because you kind of absorb a huge fan base from a different series into your own series. And so Mistborn was kind of the catalyst for that because I think at the time he got the deal, I think it was just Elantris and the first Mistborn book that were published, Uh, maybe the second. Mm-hmm. He has a pretty long YouTube video on his YouTube channel where he talks about the story. You could just search um, Brandon Sanderson, Wheel of Time, and it'll be the first thing that comes up. That's one thing I like about him, too, as an author, is he is not afraid to kind of like tell people the behind the scenes of of his work, which is pretty yeah. neat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another thing that's kind of interesting about... Uh, his series here is that he was actually done writing the first draft of his final book, book three in the Mistborn series before Final Empire was, I have finished written here, but published is what I meant to write. Before Final Empire was ever published, he had all three books pretty much written in their uh, first draft form at the very least. So could could you imagine just being... 
I like like the thing is you think about some of the greatest fantasy series and you obviously you got to think about modern series, right? We talked about name of the wind and wise man's mm-hmm. fear and game of thrones who these authors are just really slow at getting their work out. And typically it's very good. Very great. Like great, not very good. It's great. Right? Like Martin Rothfuss, their work is great. But then when you think about how fast Sanderson gets his work done and how big his books are, even if they're like one tier lower in greatness, they're almost more impressive because of the speed at which he gets his work done and just his overall dedication to his craft. And that is hugely um, impressive to me because, man, like the guy he literally forces himself to write eight hours a day in like two four-hour chunks and he yeah. does it like i think he writes what like four days a week five days a week or something like that he is so consistent i mean he doesn't like you said he doesn't hide anything that he does he's like this is how much i write i think he's on average like five thousand words like a session or whatever like th- th- this guy probably hits about ten thousand words in his two four hour blocks or I, I he's hit some crazy word count and it's good writing. Like it's, it's accessible. He's got a in-depth world that he's writing in. And so to have all of that and to consistently put out books that not only, I mean the Stormlight archives is incredible, but he's also putting out, books within the stormlight archive world that are like supplemental books like between mm-hmm. i think between words of radiance and oathbringer he wrote like a short novella mm-hmm. about one of the characters that he just you know hey i'm just gonna write this book in between two <laughs> right, just door stoppers like right. literally <laughs> yeah i mean he wrote i think it was the way of kings or maybe it was oathbringer one of them was like 1,044 pages was the most Tor at the time could publish. Like they were like, we cannot make a bigger book than this. And so he wrote literally the limit that his publisher <laughs> was willing to publish. And and now like Words of Radiance or uh, Rhythm of War is like 1,200 pages. So like, he's Crazy. constantly hitting these incredible mile markers and – like that alone doesn't make a series impressive. Like I mean, it does word count wise, page wise, but that doesn't make it good. But Brandon Sanderson make like makes good books. Like he writes good books. So it's like not only are these incredibly long and impressively big, but they're also entertaining and they're yeah. good. And that's reflected in the Mistborn. I only read the first one, but you've read all of them. So you're like the, the source of knowledge here, but I know you've spoken highly of the entire Mistborn world. Yeah. I would say that Mistborn as a series is some of the best paced plot that I've read in fantasy period. Like mm. I think that there are a few really good characters in Mistborn like I, f- I feel like from what I've heard, it seems like Stormlight Archive might be Sanderson's work where he really focuses on really fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mistborn, I think what he's kind of done is he has taken this magic system and just kind of asked the question, 
what would this magic system look like in different eras, right? The first series, Final Empire, Well of Ascension, Hero of Ages, feels like it's kind of set in this uh, Renaissance era, pushing into maybe the Victorian era, right? Like kind Mm -hmm. of at the end of the Renaissance era. And then the um, next series he, he has, which is the Wax and Wayne saga, the shorter books... And uh, the and by shorter books, still they're like longer than your average book, but they're shorter for Sanderson, right? They're right. they're like four hundred yeah. page books or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but they they are set in like a late industrial era and kind of says like, well, how would this magic system work in here? And so they're they're plot they're very much plot driven. Like the characters, mm-hmm. there's a like I said. A few focal characters who really develop, but like these are these are books written to be read at a good pace with good plot. The magic system here it's fleshed out, but it's never overwhelming to a point of where you're like, oh man, I feel like I'm just reading about this magic system and I'm gonna forget more than half of what I I've read here. So yeah, so I do appreciate that with Mistborn, and I feel like there was a good progression of every book within the series gets more and more expansive because uh, by by Hero of Ages, there's a lot going on, but you feel like you're comfortable in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, last thing I'll mention here, actually I have two more things I'll mention here in history and fun facts, is uh, Sanderson's premise when he was coming up with the story of the first Mistborn trilogy, he asked a simple question. He said, what would a world look like if the bad guys won? Specifically, he mentioned, what if Voldemort won in Harry Potter? Or what if Sauron won in Lord of the Rings? And that's how he came up with the world of uh, the Last Empire. Uh, It's ruled by a dictatorial ruler. And I don't want to spoil the next next couple books because you haven't read them. But there's even more in-depth questions that come out of this premise that I find extremely fascinating. Mm -hmm. So... So I do. I, I think the premise is very simple, and a lot of people have probably asked the question before. He just he nailed it, and I think he delivers on it. So, Zach, mm-hmm. I've been—oh, hold on. One more thing, guys. I do have to mention this. This is a pop culture reference. It's a big deal. But I don't know how I missed this. A couple months back, Kelsier, the, basically one of the main characters of this book, was a character that you could unlock in Fortnite back in May. And— uh, I feel uh-huh. like I should have played Fortnite in May, even though I don't like that game at all. I would have at least liked to have been like, hey, hey I've got Kelsier. Yeah. You know? That's cool. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. Like, I can't, yeah. can't imagine too many kids going around playing Fortnite who know who Kelsier is, because this is definitely adult fiction, but maybe more adults yeah. play Fortnite than I think. So. <laughs> Could be. So, Could Zach, be man, I've been talking for a while. I need to get some water here. Tell me. What was your initial impact of Mistborn? First impressions and anything else you want to say uh, for a little bit here? Yeah. So this was the second Sanderson book that I ever read, but it was the first Sanderson book I had heard about. And so this is going all the way back to my Korea days. Um, This was back in 2000. Oh, man, 2014 or yeah, 2014, 15 is when I 
was on Reddit and I was like, man, I just kind of lonely in Korea. It's like not too many people for me to talk to in Korea. So I was really getting into like just reading as much as I could because it would just kind of pass the time. And like I've always been an avid reader, but I really kind of picked it up in Korea. And so I was going through Reddit and I found like a page that was like top just books, top 100 books or top 200 books of all time that Reddit really liked. And Mistborn was in like the top 10 of just all books. Like this is not just fantasy and sci-fi. This was like all genres. And I was like, man, that's kind of crazy that this fantasy book is in this list of Reddit's favorite. I mean, it was right up there with like man's search for meeting meaning and like, you know, freakonomics, <laughs> like, awesome. like actual, like groundbreaking, like books that affect people's lives. Mistborn was hanging with them. And so that's when I first heard about it, but I didn't read it. I was like, ah, I have no way of getting it. And so come 2000, 16 um 2017 i was like getting back to fantasy again and i picked this book up and i was like i and i it was like one of the first books i ever downloaded on my kindle and i was like i this is recommended to me by reddit i've gotta gotta read it Mm -hmm. and i my first thought was because i tore through like the first 30 percent of the book Mm -hmm. in like you know, a matter of days. And I was like, holy cow, this thing reads fast. Like mm-hmm. stuff just happens from the beginning happens. And one of my very first thoughts was this is incredibly accessible. Um, this is a fantasy series or this is a fantasy book that I don't have to spend time getting to really know the characters. Cause this is around the time I was also getting to the end of the wheel of time or like the, I have the world, not the wheel of time series but eye of the world and like eye of the world's well paced but it would it feels it would feel like a slog after i read you know the final empire i would yeah. read that and then sometimes read later in the day eye of the world and be like oh my gosh this book is freaking slow um but i mean anything compared to final empire misborn it's gonna feel a little slower right. so that was one of my first thoughts was like man this is really accessible and like you said earlier, I could see it just playing out in my head and you you do that naturally when you read, but for some reason this really felt like a movie and it was in that Victorian steampunky Renaissance area era where you kind of got this weird, like with the balls and stuff. I was like, it feels like uh pride and prejudice a little yeah, bit, but then yeah. <laughs> like, cause they're like trying to do all these weird rituals there. Like, dance rituals and there's all all this like social hierarchy that had to go through but then you've got essentially like superheroes flying around these cities burning metals and like i i just thought that was such a cool blend of of like high fantasy but not not the high fantasy you think of and that's why i really appreciate it because Mm -hmm. it was it was high fantasy that was in a more current time Mm -hmm. and yeah i hadn't read anything like that because i never i i know there's like the dresden files out there and stuff that's more like recent yeah uh time like a, a more recent era but this 
this one was the first I'd ever read. And so I thought this was such a unique blend of, of all these elements in, in, in fantasy. Yeah. And so this was also around the same time that I got married. And so I have a lot of just fond memories of like getting to bed with my new wife and yeah. like reading. And like, I never had read next to someone in my yeah. bed. So yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, I got all this new like feeling of, of just like I was married and I was reading this. So I have a lot of like fond memories reading through this. Um, and so, yeah, like I really enjoyed this book it's actually the only one i've read out of the entire series i don't know why i stopped i think after i read it i was like okay i really want to get into sanderson and that's Mm -hmm. when i read way of kings and was like oh boy this is a (laughs) like not just a step up man this is like jump yeah from from what mistborn is but um i remember when i finished it some lingering thoughts that i had and something the one thing i can compare it to is it is like the settlers of Catan of of fantasy, where <laughs> it's like that transitional yeah, yeah, yeah. book, man. <laughs> it's like you've gone from playing Monopoly and Sorry and yeah. uh, like life, and you're like, man, there's there's all these other games out there. Like, I wonder what they're like. But you don't want to go headlong into like terraforming Mars or something True. like crazy yeah. in depth. So, you know, you go to Settlers of Catan. It's like that transition yeah. book or transition game. And, and Mistborn, the Final Empire, is like that transition book where you go from, you know, like a, uh, a, a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you're like, okay, I really like fantasy. And maybe you've read like The Golden Compass and like some of the middle grade fantasy books, like Percy, Percy Jackson, Jackson, like yeah. stuff like that, yeah. that you're really pumped about. But like the magic system is very basic mm-hmm. and it's very accessible, very easy to understand. Harry Potter's this thing. You're like, but I want to read, you know, Gardens of the Moon by you know Erickson, like this super in depth book. But you can't just go do that because right. you gotta really understand fantasy. And so I've just felt like this was that transitional book mm-hmm. in in especially for me who I really like fantasy and I would have considered Lord of the Rings probably the highest fantasy I had read at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I was also read all of the uh, um, Game of Thrones, but okay. but that's a different to me. That's more like political, magical, high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so this to me was like that transitional book that really got me into, you know, like something like the name of the wind or yeah. stormlight archives, especially. So, um, I just remembered thinking that as I completed it, it was like, man, this is this is like that transition. This is the settlers yeah. of Catan of, of fantasy books. And yeah. so I I anytime someone asks, like, what good fantasy should they read? I honestly do recommend Final Empire because mm-hmm. it is so accessible. Yeah. Um, and it's fun. It's fun to read. And that's what you want people yes. to, to experience. But yeah, that was that was my first in impressions of it what do you what about you man uh for me man so this was actually one of the first books that i picked up after finishing grad school so i i love reading fiction always have always will and going from college to grad school i just never had a lot of time 
to read fiction when I had that going on. Because typically when you are in academia, the last thing you want to do in your free time is read because you read so much for academia. It's not like... It's not like, you know, it wouldn't still be relaxing. It's just like, I just don't want to hold a book. I don't want to read on the Kindle. I don't, you know, want to do that because it's what I do all the time, you know, like five hours a night. And so I, when I finished grad school, it was this book was actually recommended to me by my friend who we grew up we both loved Harry Potter read the Dragonlance Chronicles together I've talked to him uh, talked about him a few times on this podcast Mm -hmm. and uh, he had told me years ago about Mistborn and I remember texting him being like hey man you know remind me what that series was you love so much that you recommended me a few few years ago. And he kind of threw a couple out there and then I saw it Mistborn. I was like, Oh yeah, that's the one. That's the one. And so I picked it up. I picked up the final empire from the library. I started, I actually got the, this is when I started doing the audio and, uh, eBooks at the same time. Cause I was like, Oh, they're yeah. both in stock. I'll just take both of them. And so <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I read it, I listened to it, I loved it, and it was one of those things too, like this was also like a really good jump back in book because it's wonderfully paced. I think that it follows a lot of fantasy tropes, but because the setting isn't like stereotypical medieval fantasy, it doesn't Mm -hmm. like feel as tropey, even though there are a lot of them, right? Like the Inquisitors are the mysterious villain who seem to be all powerful that you don't know how you're going to beat them in the end and you figure it out by the time that the book's over. And then there's the 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 Dark Lord, right? Like the Lord Ruler, mm-hmm. he's clearly there. There's the sacrificial hero. There's there's so many tropes there. But just I think what what really Sanderson hit on was just a slightly different setting like something that still feels old and antiquated but not like medieval fantasy because it's been done so many times and i mean sanderson even does it himself right stormlight archive feels a lot more medieval than than 100 right (laughs) so so i liked that i liked the setting and one of the things that really hit me with this book and every single book in this series was the last, I don't know, we'll say 15%, maybe 20% of mm-hmm. a Sanderson book is always worth it. The payoff is always worth it. Even through like slow parts and everything, like he always brings it all home because, you know, there are some, right, where especially. Hero of Ages, his his third one in the Mistborn series, that's like, oh man, this this one's a lot slower. But then it like all everything you thought was slow, it all pays off in the end. And it's like he is very good at setup and payoff. Doesn't leave a ton of loose ends in his storytelling, which I appreciate. And um I just remembered finishing this and loving it so much but then it took me like a year before i went through and read the second one but then once i got the second one i plowed through that hero of ages and then his next three and the other saga within 
I think it was like a month. Like I smashed. Mm-hmm. Those yeah, books. I remember you tore yeah. through those books. Man. Yeah, I was like, holy cow, you're almost done. Yeah. So big fan. This is this is one of this is one of my favorite fantasy series. And, and too, like I think the last fantasy series I I read before I got into this was like I tried reading Terry Goodkind's Sword of Truth. Don't know if you ever dabbled with that. Um, it wasn't for me. I know a lot of people like Terry Goodkind, but that wasn't mm-hmm. for me. Sword of Truth wasn't for me. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. And so, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean, that's that's Brandon Sanderson. Man, is he delivers? He mm-hmm. delivers even in these Stormlight Archives books that I'm reading. Um, I remember thinking and feeling the same way about Way of Kings was like, okay, this is all really interesting, but this is <laughs> it's kind of slow and this yeah. is not not much is happening. And like the world building's cool, but like when's anything gonna happen? And then those last two hundred pages of that book, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Yeah. And it's like I kept hearing about it and I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I got to it and I was like, yeah, baby, this yeah. is what I wanted. And he delivers, man. He mm-hmm. delivers over and over again with those endings. And he is one of those writers that figures out how to write a satisfying ending. But then if it's in a series, leaving enough left to go, oh, man, OK, I got to read the next mm-hmm. one. I got to know yeah. what's going on with some of these plot lines. It's not just a one off. And uh, he's an epilogue writer, right? He's, he's <laughs> yes, he he's is. he's got an epilogue in every book and the story's not quite done yet till the story's done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what's really cool about Sanderson is his books are all take place in the same universe. And that's what's so cool to me. What's like, this is not just high fantasy in a unique time period, or this is like Elantris for, I haven't read it, but from I hear it's classic high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like even that book, it take it all takes place in the Cosmere, which is this mm-hmm. multi-planet universe. Yeah. Universe yeah. that he's created where all these stories happen. And Certain characters cross over and like the the creation story of this Cosmere actually affects all of these books. Like the the way that the the magic systems work on each of these planet planets are affected by this this creation event that is kind of the backbone of this entire universe. And I thought I just like once I found that. Uh, like I found out about that and it honestly in the stormlight archives, it goes into a lot more detail about the Cosmere, or at least a couple planets in the Cosmere. Okay. And it's, it's cool with the characters. Cause they're like, wait, other planets. Cause mm-hmm. obviously they've only lived on one. Yeah. And there's certain beings that can kind of travel through the, this, pl- the planets. It's just, it's so cool, man. It's so cool that this, this universe is created and he can, kind of play with it and yeah it's it's what any creative person and writer wants to do is create mm-hmm. a universe or a world that they can kind of just tell endless stories in i mean mm-hmm. that's yeah lord of the rings man i mean the middle earth is a playground for mm-hmm. you know people that like that kind of fantasy and that story yeah and so that's that's kind of the you know, the dream of mm-hmm. every writer is to to create that. And Sanderson, I mean, 
has carefully done that. And that mm-hmm. started with Elatris and then I mean Mistborn is what really got him on the map. Yeah. So Yeah. I yeah. Cool. yeah, I had a I had a couple of discussion questions for us before we give like our lasting impact. Because while we have a lot of praise for the book, and I have a lot of praise for the book and I have a lot of praise for Sanderson, there's a lot of people out there who have criticisms and criticisms that I think are are legitimate if it's not your style not your taste and I do think you know when whenever fantasy is talked about it's never talked about in the same way that literary fiction is talked about right like even though um a lot of times literary fiction especially modern literary fiction is absolutely no fun um it's still what everyone is supposed to like which is totally ironic Uh, but but, uh one thing i gotta ask you is does sanderson's commitment to explaining out all the intricacies of how his magic system works i don't know how exactly he does it in stormlight but i know how it works in mistborn where he's very much just like so vin burned pewter she became strong she beat the guy up he's a better writer than i am speaking it right now but he's very methodical with how he explains the magic because he always wants you to know what's going on as far as like the logistics go of the magic right like it's 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 almost like overcorrection to like hey you are not gonna you are not gonna be able to get through this book without understanding like hey there are rules to this magic whether or not you grasp them all is kind of depending on how closely you read but mistborn you should get it all but do mm-hmm. you think that it always feels good or do you think it's somewhat silly at times um that's tough because he doesn't really break that habit even in the stormlight archives man mm-hmm. he he's very much a i need to explain this I need you to understand this because I'm creating a magic system that is very integral to this world. And I think I didn't really notice it or mind it as much, honestly, when I read Mistborn or at least read Final Empire. Um, I kind of just took it as like, oh, okay, like this is just how the magic system works. He just is talking about it. He likes to explain it. Um I think because the action was happening and so much is going on in the final empire that I didn't really mind him over explaining. It's honestly only after I started learning more about Sanderson and people complained about him <laughs> over explaining that I started noticing it. So like, it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. And then someone says like, Oh, well he does this. And then you can't not see that every time you read and so once I started reading the Mist, or once I started reading the Stormlight Archives, I saw that more and more. Mm-hmm. And I kind of forgive him for that, honestly. I don't mind it because, especially in the Stormlight Archives, it's so complex that mm-hmm. I need him to kind of explain it again. And especially because they're so big that you kind of forget certain things later in the book. And so he kind of has to go back and like explain it a little bit. Um, but for how Allomancy um, is silly, but like it's it's a fun book. I don't mm-hmm. I never took it as like a super, super serious high fantasy book. Like, I mean, like you said, the plot is literally a heist in a 
high fantasy yeah. setting. Like that's it, like uh, Ocean's Eleven in a high fantasy is <laughs> you can't take that seriously. And so I I don't know how much more serious the books become, but I just it gets very serious in the second book and especially okay. the third book. Like, okay, so maybe that does later on have some, you know, repercussions for not really going too in depth on the the intricacies of how, you know, Alamancy works. But I, for me, I didn't mind it as much, man. It didn't bother me. Um, I, I thought it was cool. It was easy to understand, which is what you want when you're kind of having more plot than you are world like mm-hmm. there's the world building for sure but it's certainly plot heavy and so mm-hmm. if you're more focused on plot you can't get bogged down with being like okay but like this is how it all works and this is why it doesn't work sometimes especially it's what happens in the store and light archives is stuff doesn't work sometimes and you're like okay why and then brand sanderson spends an entire three chapters explaining why yeah um so I didn't mind. I thought yeah. it was fine. Why did you, did it bother you at all? No, and it doesn't bother me. It, there's a lot of things about Sanderson's writing that get knocks that I don't mind at all. And here's the reason why: because I feel like his books are written in such a way that actually understand the casual reader's reading habits more than um, a lot of authors. Because his books are written in such a way, it's like, well. I feel like this is really important to my story and maybe someone hasn't read a couple chapters in a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Hey, maybe they put the book down for a year. And I feel like these books, Mistborn, are ones where you could. You could read halfway through the book, pick the book back up, be like, ah, I don't really remember what's going on. But then it's written in such a way where it's like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. There's there is reiteration of things that happen. You're always kind of caught up and things are repeated and the magic system's always explained on how it works. And yeah. while that might seem tedious and people want more flowery type of writing, at the end of the day, the story's awesome. And mm-hmm. if the story's awesome and my mind's eye is creating wonderful images in my head, that's why I'm there to read, you know? I'm not really there to critique how beautiful of a writer you are because at at the end of the day, if I wanted that, I'd read poetry and <laughs> not fiction. And I love poetry, right? And mm-hmm. and that's why I think sometimes the, the fiction authors who take forever at getting the work done are the ones who also like poetry and they like to write poetry and they mm-hmm. treat their fiction like it's poetry and then it never gets done. And so... <laughs> <laughs> So it's anyway, people out, baby. <laughs> no names. I mean, it's not. It's not. Yeah, we're, we didn't name anybody. <laughs> just if that fits your description, then maybe get the book done. Yeah, but anyway, I honestly I can understand the critique. If that bothers you, if subjectively that bothers you, I get that. I get that. I like. I like to be challenged as a reader, right? I like to be able to like point out in the book club, be like, oh, guys, did you notice that? And then maybe someone didn't notice, and you're like, yeah, these, this, this is what here, this is what really happened. I get that. I understand that. But at the same time, uh, not everything needs to be that. Um, right. And and that's not that's not this book. That's not a lot of Sanderson's mm-hmm. writings. So, and I think yeah. I think it's telling because while it seems like there's a you know, a handful of voices on the internet who have their critiques, 
the book sales and the uh, Reddit rankings speak for themselves, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah, I mean, it's going it's on, you know, number three for a reason and number uh, one for a reason. Uh, another thing, too, while we're talking about critics is that um, characters are one of the things that people knock in particularly in the first Mistborn. Um kind of maybe feeling like you have a little bit of too many archetypical heroes or characters, protagonists, and maybe not too much interesting fleshing out of any of the characters. And Mm -hmm. I think that from where I'm coming from, I would say, like, yes, that's there, but I also know the full character arc of these characters, and they do get more interesting, especially the main characters. So, anyway, what do you think, not having read all three books, about the critique about, hey, maybe the characters are a little flat. They feel a little bit like stereotypical fantasy heroes. And yeah, I I can get on board with this one a little bit. Um, I thought... A lot of the side characters outside of Vin and what Kelsier, Kelsor, Kelsier, mm-hmm. right? Kelsier, yeah, uh, Kelsier. Uh, outside of those two, um, I thought a lot of the side characters were cookie cutter esque. Mm-hmm. Now looking back on it, um, they it reminded me because it is a heist plot. It reminded me a lot of just oh, if you are the um, like the the tech guy you have to act this way and if you're the guy who breaks into the safe you're kind of really eccentric and out there and if you're the guy with the explosives you're kind of twitchy and like they all kind of fit those like different elements of allomancy even so like if they were like the smokescreen guy like he kind of was this like it's who you pictured him to be so my favorite is the bruiser his he's the pewter user his name is also ham like, yeah, I just yeah. love that. I just, it's yeah. just so heavy handed. It's like, let's just embrace exactly. it. You know? like, uh, yeah. And so like if they are, they're cookie cutter. <laughs> they're they're exactly what you expect them to be. Um, I thought Vin was definitely interesting enough. Um, strong female protagonists are kind of a rarity in high fantasy. Um, so I I really liked Vin, I really lo- I liked Kelsier, Kelsier um enough. He kind of felt like a Han Solo kind of guy to me, mm-hmm. um from what I remember. Um but yeah, it just it did I can get on board with the criticism of just they felt kind of cookie cutter um but it was forgiven on my part because the plot kind of, it, it's one of those things where it's like if the two elements that you're trying to go for are good and well written and paced. People will forgive a lot. Yeah. They'll forget the. They'll forgive the tropes. They'll forgive yeah. the. You know, one dimensional character, side character can't mm-hmm. be your main character. But if it's a side character that's literally just you know the Jar Jar Binks, people will. If it's not Jar Jar Binks, obviously that's <laughs> I was kind of a bad say, example. Maybe not the best example. <laughs> maybe not a great example. But the one dimensional comic relief character, the Chewbacca character, mm-hmm. they don't do anything other than just break tension. Yeah. People forgive that because mm-hmm. the plot's interesting. And so that was me. I was like, these are interesting enough and I'm, I want to know where this is going. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I do agree with that criticism. Okay. Okay. 
All right. So last uh, question for discussion. We kind of talked about this a little bit. Personally, I think that Mistborn is a great transition type of fantasy. Like if you grew up liking Harry Potter or Percy Jackson and you are now an adult and you're looking to get into adult-oriented fantasy, I think Mistborn is the place to start. I think Final Empire is the place to start. I really do. Um, And I was going to ask you if you felt the same, but you kind of already expressed that that's how you felt. But with that, are there any other books that you know of that would be kind of good transitional, like, hey, I grew up loving fantasy as a kid. What's the next step for me? Uh, Where should I go if you know, this Mistborn thing doesn't sound as interesting, or I've already read it, and I'm still kind of getting my feet wet. Hmm. Let me think about that. Yeah, Sanderson's usually a good entry point. Um, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I'm reading Robin Hobb. She's great, too. Um, mm-hmm. The magic system's not heavy. Um, the The writing is more poetic, though, so I will caution against that if you're not into... Um, you know, more introspective characters. She's mm-hmm. definitely um, heavy on that side of things. Um, but I, I would recommend, you know, Realm of the Elderlings. That's a that's a good one. Um, I mean, even this is a little heavier, but the Game of Thrones, the first one, um, it's definitely more. It's definitely slower than, you know, the the Mistborn series, but. Um, that's a good entry point. It, that one might be a little too heavy. That might be more towards the Stormlight Archives, if we could do tears. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would say Realm of the Elderlings. That's a that's okay. another good entry point. Not too heavy on the magic. More focused on um, more focused on characters in that one. But mm-hmm. the plot's interesting, and the ca- the main character is is really interesting. So um, I would I would I highly recommend that one. Do you have anything? Uh, you know what? There's none off the top of my head that I could say that are really even on the same par as this. Like, I could definitely go... Like, I would actually say Game of Thrones is probably a little bit of a step up. It's a little mm-hmm. heavier writing. But I don't think... if Like, if you can handle Mistborn, you can definitely handle Game of Thrones. But Game of Thrones is one of those things, too, is... You know, I mean, we're talking about very different types of storytelling, right? Where... Mm-hmm. Brandon Sanderson, he's he's got his gritty parts in his stories, but it's not as entrenched in it as Game of Thrones is just... You gotta have to be in the right state of mind to read Game of Thrones. And some of that type yeah. of stuff, it really bothers people, you know? Like, like Game of Thrones has some pretty, like, tough writing, dude. Like, yeah, eh, you know, you, and a lot of people have seen the show. Everybody, everybody knows what Game of Thrones is. Um, so... Yeah, I think that's a good one um, for a little bit higher level. But, yeah, I can't think of anything that I would actually put above it or uh, put in the same realm. I know that there's other uh, – I can't can't remember the name of it. Uh, anyway, I'm going to cut that out. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, and then just, like, lasting impact. I'll just kind of start off here by saying that right now at this point in time, you all know – who've listened to this for a while if you're listening for the first time i'm a huge lord of the rings fan tolkien is is my favorite book series lord of the rings is my favorite book series my favorite intellectual property but for a series that i have finished this trilogy in mistborn is my second favorite um series that i've read mainly because of just how fun it is you know and how 
I look forward to the world continuing to expand because while Mistborn 1 through 3 are done, the saga's continuing, and he's got a lot of plans to continue it on um, on down the road, and looking forward to seeing where it goes, because the magic does get more interesting through the different eras, especially if you've read them all. And so definitely my favorite series outside of Tolkien at this point in time. I also do want to mention, I am embarrassed to say I don't, own any of these books i got them all from the library and i read them from the library and it's so good that i know i'm gonna add these to my collection one day just like we were talking about with the stormlight archive i do want to have these in all one collection but i think what i want to do for this one is maybe wait and see give it a couple years and see if they come out with a beautiful 20th anniversary set here Mm -hmm. in like five years and i will definitely buy that and maybe that'll be the copy i buy and maybe for the time being just to have them in my collection i'll get some uh uh, mass market paperbacks off of um thrift books or something but yeah you know it's one of the ones like i have that feeling about it i enjoyed it so much and i got Mm. them from the library because i am a huge advocate of using your local library but when you like something so much, you almost feel like, hey, I owe it to the author that I got to go out and buy this. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you wrote a story that I enjoyed so much. I got to pay it forward to you. And that's how I feel about Mistborn. Like that's that if that says anything about how much I like the books, that's how I feel about them. Even though I probably won't read them again for many years down the road. I think I will. But I feel like the story's fresh enough in my mind. Uh, probably won't be yeah. within the next couple of years, but I feel like I should go out and buy them just out of principle. I, I do also, I do think that Kelsier was a very interesting character in my mind. Um, and I think part of this is kind of seeing what happens on down the road with how his death is really viewed from the perspective of a lot of people. Because one thing I liked about Kelsier and one thing you wrestle with throughout the series is is what you see of him as a character and then the legend about him that you're seeing develop after his death and there is not perfect harmony between those two stories because while Kelsier is definitely a hero like there's a lot of things about him within the story that's like oh man like I don't really like that about you you know Mm. um and he's kind of, he comes across as like that Batman type of hero. Like, hey, sometimes you got to be the hero that you need, right? Yeah. And that means I'm going to do some things that you're not going to agree with, right? That typical, <laughs> that line at the end of Dark Knight. Yeah. And I feel like Kelsier has a lot of those moments within the first book that really kind of pan out, even though he's not in the other three books, um, that pan mm. out to be very interesting. And, and I appreciated that because I really enjoyed his character in the first book, and I'm glad he's not totally gone after after he dies. So mm. anyway, that's the lasting impact for me, man. What are, what are you thinking here, closing up on Mistborn? Um, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a, a great high fantasy book, an accessible one. Um, I would highly recommend this to anybody. Um, I Hearing you talk about it and just how you've plowed through them um it's a series that i think once i wrap up 
you know, Stormlight Archives, I probably will dive into that one. Um, kind of going backwards in the Sanderson <laughs> right, you're getting, universe. You're but, going from the hardest to the easier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I it, but it's it, it was. I remember it was fun. Um, it's definitely one that I do want to add to my collection. I, in a ideal world, I want to collect all of Sanderson's books because I think he is, you know, going to be seen as one of the the pillars of fantasy he's Mm -hmm. going to be one of the defining writers of fantasy you know 100 years from now someone's Mm going to look back and see sanderson's works and so i want to get those all all, like all on my shelf because i enjoy first of all just sanderson but i enjoy his stories and his creativity and so the fact that this kind of goes through different ages that's so cool Mm -hmm. that's extremely interesting to me so for me, the lasting impact is I want more. I want to read more of it. Um, I haven't gotten the chance, um, but it was it was a fun read. Um, I like the the quirky take on high fantasy and heist and a different time period. That's always it's it's hard to do. I'll say that because you mm-hmm. can kind of get pigeonholed into this like kind of this genre that's like well it's not is that really fantasy or is that more you know steampunky with some fantasy elements to it so it's hard to do but i think sanderson pulled it off and so to me um this is a series that i definitely want to invest in Mm -hmm. um in the future so i i'll probably be looking with you for you know a 20 year anniversary collection put on my shelf Very good. Hey, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you so much. If you want to interact with us, be sure to write into us at steelixstudio.com slash community. We haven't talked about that in a long time. You can also get our newsletter going to steelixstudio.com. It's right on the homepage if you want to interact with us more. Get Zach's newsletters that he writes out to everybody, and you'll get more and more information about the Terror Town series that Zach writes as well. So want to thank you guys so much. We know that the holidays are coming up. I hope that whatever holiday you are celebrating, it's wonderful, and we'll talk to you next time on Parallel Quest. Bye-bye. Bye.